in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland and today joining me in the studio is, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, co-worker, guy who also works with me on Forward Thinking, Joe McCormick, no stranger to the program. Hi everybody. I think last time I was here was a few weeks ago and we were talking about ghost voices coming through the radio. Yeah. So I figured we should talk about something a little more conventional this time. Okay. All right. That sounds good. Uh, and but course, not boring. No, not not boring. No, we're not. I just mean not bordering on the realms of the paranormal. Yeah. Although the topic we've picked does have its share of uh, interesting controversy, uh, that being wind turbines. And the reason we picked this is because our listener, Justin, on Twitter, quite some time ago, said, I think it would be great if you could do a podcast on wind turbines if you haven't already. Frankly, I am shocked you've been doing tech stuff this long and you have not done wind turbines. I'm shocked, too. And I'm scared to do a search right now to make absolutely certain that we have it. <laughs> you didn't do it a few years ago. Yeah, I it. mean, it's possible, but it, that doesn't stop me from doing a, a full episode. I mean, for one thing, if we did cover it, it was back when I didn't even know anything. All you spoke were lies. I knew nothing, Jon Snow. So now I feel like I know a lot, and uh, or at least my research foo is stronger. And so I feel that we can have uh, fun talking about this and do the subject matter justice. So first of all, I guess we should just mention what a wind turbine is. And you probably know, but just in case, it is a device that uh, converts the kinetic energy from wind into electricity. Sounds simple enough, except if you take out that electricity part and get a little more loosey-goosey with the definition, I think the topic becomes even more interesting because then you can really look way back into history and find examples of Oh, this. sure. I mean, like using wind to do work for us dates back millennia. I mean, yeah. we're talking about like that's the principle behind sales. It's one of the oldest ways to leverage natural forces to do our jobs for us. Yeah. Apart from living in a high place and needing to get down to a low place, <laughs> it's one of those really simple ways of, of exploiting, really. The natural world. And so uh, uh, if you're not very imaginative, you may be thinking, wait a minute, how did we use wind to power things in the ancient world? Well, you may have seen something before called a windmill. Yeah. Yeah. Windmills date pretty far back. The, some of the earliest ones uh, are they, they date back to the 200 BCE in China. And wow. they were That's before Don Quixote. even. Yes. They were used to pump water, so ancient water pumps. And then you also, around that same time, had vertical axis windmills in Persia and the Middle East to grind grain. Wait a minute, vertical axis. So that means that the, the windmill is sort of being blown, laying flat instead of standing up, right? Well, instead of it looking like a fan it uh, and, and turning on that axis, you... Rotate that axis 90 degrees. So it's like a food processor. Yeah, more like a food processor. <laughs> we'll talk We'll talk about the differences between vertical axis and horizontal axis and why the horizontal axis is the one we're mostly familiar with. That's the if you think of modern wind farms, you're thinking horizontal axis uh, turbines. But we'll we'll get into that later. OK, yeah. so we can use them to pump water. We can use them to to turn a big stone and grind grain into dust. That's really what we were using it for, starting with the Middle Ages and moving forward, especially in the Western world. You know, mm -hmm. that was that was when the rest of the, the when the Western world started to catch on 
to this technology that had been used for hundreds of years in other parts of the world. Uh, and really to get to the point where we're using wind to generate electricity, you have to get to about 1887. Mm -hmm. And that's when a physicist and engineer named James Blythe or Blythe, depending upon your pronunciation. I would guess Blythe. Uh, yeah, there's some spellings of his name that includes an E at the end, which, yeah. which lends credence to that pronunciation. Uh, he installed <laughs> a wind turbine with blades made of sailcloth at a vacation home he had. And, really? uh, yeah. 1887, huh? 1887. It stored electricity in what he called accumulators, which are essentially batteries. So it had a, that was a storage methodology. Uh, apparently, I'm sure they were full of lead and quite lethal. Yeah, I, I read one account. Now, I, I hesitate to even mention this account because it feels like it might be apocryphal to me. Mm -hmm. But I read one account where he even offered to sell his excess electricity to the surrounding village. But they uh, discounted it for it was the devil's work. <laughs> I I have no idea. Sounds like one of those legends. Yeah, it's, it feels a little a little on the legendary side to me. But a few months after Blythe had installed his uh, first wind turbine, an American engineer named Charles F. Brush installed a wind-powered turbine of his own behind his mansion in Ohio. Uh, the tower was 60 feet high, which is about 18 meters. So this was uh, this was no tiny structure. It was quite large. And sometimes Brush is um, is mentioned as the first person to make an, a wind turbine that generates electricity, which gets all the Blythe fans mm -hmm. up in arms. Uh, at any rate, it's around this time, late 19th century, that people first started to create these sort of things. That's really interesting, but I'm wondering, maybe I just don't have a good sense of history at this point. What were they doing with all that electricity in 1887? Probably uh, powering very early light bulbs that didn't last terribly long. Uh, okay. That would be the most, that would be what I would expect most of the electricity would go toward, especially since these were both attached to residences. Mm -hmm. So these weren't, you know, these weren't the, the early days of a power grid. This was for a specific location. Uh, as for uh, wind turbines, well, by the early 1900s, you had more engineers experimenting with ways to use wind power to generate electricity. And by the 1940s, it became pretty important, particularly in, in places that were involved with uh, World War II, because things like coal were really important for the war effort, which oh, meant that we had to be okay. we had to find ways of conserving it uh, back at home. And so it had a lot of people looking to things like wind power to supplement what would normally be a coal based uh, energy grid. And uh, by the time World War Two had ended, uh, we started seeing fuel prices come down and it ended up killing wind power pretty much because unlike wind power, it was cheap. Wind power right. was actually expensive to build and maintain. Yeah. And uh, so why would you spend the money for wind power when you have this enormous source of fossil fuels that are much less expensive? Yeah, well, making use of wind power seems to require more foresight. You've got to have infrastructure in place. You've got to have, uh, you know, appliances that take advantage of grid electricity using coal and oil. That, that's just easy. You just set fire to it. Yeah. There and, you go. And not only that, uh, you also had less of an awareness of the effects of using fossil fuels and, mm -hmm. and what their long-term uh, consequences could be. So without that knowledge, there was very little incentive to pursue wind power as a meaningful uh, supplement to our, our energy needs. 
And so uh, it really wasn't until the 1970s when we started getting oil shortages that wind power started to rise to prominence again, because now suddenly it was much more expensive to get hold of fuel. And so it made sense to look for alternatives. And then you get into the environmental movement of the late 70s and into the 80s, and that kind of helped perpetuate wind power. And by the, the 1990s, we got to an era where that was, again, a big focus. And that kind of leads us up to today, where we now have lots of different companies and people looking into wind power and finding out if it's if it's an all a, uh, you know, a, a viable means of generating enough electricity for it to be worth the investment, uh, which is right. a, that's a legitimate question. Yeah, well, it seems to be a, a money question, right? Yeah. I mean, it is certainly a viable means of generating electricity. The question is, will it generate enough electricity um, and be cheap enough to be worthwhile to invest in? Right. Or could there be alternatives that would make more sense? So that that's the question that people are asking. And it's a good question to ask because it'll direct us to the the most likely candidates to meet our needs while we hope uh, not contributing to the problems that we've seen with fossil fuels. Well, let's talk about how wind turbines actually work. Sure. All right. So air is a fluid. Just letting you know. Start that off. Gases are essentially, they, they work by fluid dynamics. Wait, I thought fluid was synonymous with liquid. Well, liquids are fluids, but that's not. <laughs> I didn't really yeah, think that. No, I know that. But, you know, air will fill up uh, a container and take the shape of whatever container it's in. Mm -hmm. And if you open up that container and the air is... Whatever whatever gas is in there, if it's lighter than the surrounding air, it'll, of course, come out of the container. It'll also pour into a vacuum if given the opportunity. That is correct. And so when this air is in motion, that's what we call wind. Yeah. So I know I'm not – I know all of this is really simple, but it's the basis for wind power. That, that When that wind is moving, when those air particles are moving, they carry force. But you might step back a bit and say, wait a minute. Why does the air move in the first place? That doesn't make any sense. You know what I used to think when I was a kid was that, well, it's because the earth is turning, right? Right. And the gas is just kind of floating around on top so, of it. So like the gas is, is free floating and not at all affected by by the gravity that the rest of us are. And so since the world is turning, the wind is blowing against us. That's that's quaint. It also would, you know, it seems very intuitive because you think about the way weather patterns move in the United States from west to east. Mm -hmm. That's what you would expect with the way the Earth rotates. Well, you know, I can't say that there is no effect of the rotation sure, of the Earth that, on wind. Sure, that is a I think large there, part of that. There is some effect, but it's mainly caused, I believe we know now, by the sun's effect on the surface of the Earth. Yes, ultimately it's, wind uh, energy is solar energy. Yeah, it's heat differentials. Yep. So you have the the sun doesn't heat every part of the Earth exactly the same in exactly the same time. Right. So sometimes you have some places that get hotter than other places. Mm -hmm. And when a place gets hotter than somewhere else, the warm air there rises up off the surface and creates a vacuum. Right. Yeah, that that warm air is less dense than the cold air that are that's in surrounding regions. Uh, the, you know, you can think of it, it's, it's kind of weird to say that the warm air just simply rises in a sense, the cold air pushes the warm air out of the way because it's denser and is trying to move into that space. But yeah, you've got the warm air that moves faster. It starts to rise up. That creates this vacuum that the cold air rushes in to fill that creates wind, which has kinetic energy and pushes against you. Yeah. There's a funny aside actually 
we can argue about the the pushing, the pulling. Right. I've actually heard a story that Buckminster Fuller used to like to correct people about what caused wind. He would say that the wind doesn't blow. It right. sucks. Right. Think about it for a second. <laughs> well, I mean, it does kind of make sense because to to blow, that means you're pushing. What What would actually be pushing the air? Pushing is a local action caused by compression. Uh, and it doesn't seem to be able to create the kind of global weather patterns we observe. But suction can. It can yeah. You can create a vacuum, and that suction can occur over vast distances and cause these global effects. So in a certain way, thinking about a cold north wind, it's actually a warm south suck. Let's not give the Yankees more more <laughs> more cruel words to use toward us. Uh, no, that, that is, I would say, that seems accurate to me that sounds it sounds logical to so, me so so next time you're standing in the wind think about this the action is happening on the part of you that's not getting blown upon yeah well this also kind of makes me think of the argument about being in a space capsule and there's a breach that you don't get sucked out into space you're blown out into space because mm. of the difference in pressure yeah there's a whole star trek next generation where data correct somebody for using that. Well, I would like to see a debate scheduled between Data and Buckminster Fuller. You know, I would Unfortunately, I, would buy I think tickets. neither of them are actually alive. Right. Well, I mean, even if Data were a real thing, then you have the whole alive debate there. We're getting off topic. Right, right, right. Okay, let's go back to wind turbines. Okay, sure. So So we we've established this kinetic energy yeah. occurs because gas molecules are being pushed or pulled, however you want to think about it, right. back and forth across the surface of the earth. We figured out, hey, let's take advantage of that. So we build a big thing that looks like a fan. Yeah. How on earth does that take advantage of the wind to turn it into electricity? Well, first of all, uh, Joe, have you ever been in a car and put your hand out the window and just to, you know, kind of feel the wind against your hand? Usually I lean out the window and hang my tongue out my mouth. All right. Well, let's just pretend like you're a normal human being and you would put your hand out. No, have you ever mm-hmm. you've done this, right? Where you put your hand out a window. Well, are you, you asking? Of course. Oh, yeah. OK, well, got to go with me <laughs> on this, Joe. This is an analogy I'm trying to make here. So, you you know what? It feels very different if you put your hand, say, uh, parallel to the ground mm-hmm. versus if you tilt it so that the top, the you know, like the, the, the inner edge of your hand is higher than the outer edge. Right. And then you can feel more resistance and you feel like that lift. Well, the blades on a wind turbine are designed in order to have a similar effect. They they are designed so that they take advantage of a lift-to-drag ratio that makes it very efficient to translate the kinetic movement of wind into rotational energy, meaning it'll turn the rotor. The rotor is the thing that the blades are attached to. Right. And in fact, you would consider the diameter of the rotor to be the full diameter uh, of the blades all the way out. That's mm-hmm. that's the di- diameter of the rotor. It's not just the center piece of, of where the, the fan blades connect to. So the wind blows against these fan blades, which generates this uh, rotational energy. It rotates the rotor, which is connected to a shaft. The shaft rotates. It is connected to a generator, and the generator is what creates the electricity. It, tr- it actually converts the rotational kinetic energy into electricity because, as we know, Energy can be neither created nor destroyed, but you can convert energy from one form to another. And that's important. So none of this is making energy, right? We're just harvesting energy and transforming it into another form of energy. 
because uh, uh, I mean, it's very easy to say like we we throw around the word energy and electricity often interchangeably, but it is a little. Uh, I mean, it's it's inaccurate to do that. So the rotor blade designs are pretty cool. Uh, they are meant to be like an airplane's wing. So they are meant to take advantage of that lift to drag ratio. Uh, unlike an airplane wing, obviously, it's not meant to keep a, an aircraft in the air. It's meant to be as advantageous to translating that wind into rotational energy as possible. Although a lot of uh, uh, wind turbines either have special blades that can move, uh, like you can actually change the orientation of the blade itself uh, within the, the rotor, or they are designed in such a way that if the wind is blowing beyond a certain speed, the blades won't turn anymore. And we'll talk about why that is in a little bit. Uh, so it's, you know, that, that I think alone is pretty cool. The blades themselves are long because longer blades mean that you have a larger rotor diameter, mm -hmm. and that translates into more energy captured from the wind. That makes so, sense. Yeah. Kind of like how a longer lever will give you more leverage. Yeah, kind of like that. So in general, if you double the rotor's diameter, meaning that you have these longer blades, like you double the, the length of the blades, it quadruples the amount of energy output. But large rotors need stronger winds to move, right? They're heavier because you've got more material. So there is a law of diminishing returns here. You could create a rotor that is has blades that are so long that it's it's so massive and heavy that no wind is going to move it, which means it's it's useless. Its energy output is zero. So you get to a point where you're like, okay, we can't go any higher than that because it would require a wind so strong that we're never going to have that experience. So that's an important thing to remember. Uh, so in some places, shorter blades are used instead of longer blades. Simply There's because, lower speed wind. Exactly. So you want to be able to capture energy, you know, or to at least harvest energy and convert it to electricity. But, you know, you can't, build these huge rotors because the wind's just not powerful enough to turn them. You could still do do the same sort of thing with smaller rotors. It just means that each individual wind turbine is going to be generating less electricity than a larger one operating under ideal con conditions. So you would probably need lots of them, right? Right. In order to generate the same amount of electricity. All right, well let's let's look at that electricity part. What's going on at the generator level? We've taken the energy that turns the blades and that moves something inside the wind turbine itself inside yeah. the the generator housing. How does that turn into electricity? Okay, so a generator is the, the very basic generator is all based on uh, electromagnetic induction. Uh and we talk about this all the time both on tech stuff and on forward thinking. Electromagnetic in induction plays a huge role in a lot of technologies today. And the basic idea is really simple. This goes all the way back to Faraday, Faraday's law. Now Faraday observed that if you brought a coil of copper wire within the field of a fluctuating magnetic field, it induced electricity to flow through the copper wire. Mm -hmm. So that's that taught us that a fluctuating magnetic field can induce, actually really technically induces voltage in a conductor. So a generator, electromagnetic generator, is essentially a, a copper coil of wire that normally surrounds a rotating shaft with magnets on it. Permanent magnets, maybe. That's a possibility. It doesn't have to be permanent magnets, but that's a very common one. And as that shaft rotates, those rotating magnets create this fluctuating magnetic field, and that induces the voltage in your conductor. Now, voltage, you can think of it as like pressure for electricity. So it pushes a current of electricity through. 
And you can then send that electricity down toward a transformer, and a transformer steps up the voltage so that you can actually transmit it uh, to the grid because uh, the voltages involved are going to be fairly low, but a transformer mm-hmm. is a very easy way of stepping up voltage. It's the basis of AC power transmission, actually. Right. But we are talking alternating current here. Um, because uh, I realized well, I didn't that's mention grid that. power. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. direct current, you can't. That's not the way you would transmit direct current. You would need a lot of repeaters along that way. Direct current is great if whatever load you're putting on the circuit is close to the actual uh, source of power. So a battery is a great example. That's direct current. But right. we're talking alternating. So yeah, really basic electronics here. I mean, this is the very basis of alternating current that we're talking about. And and so this is just a physical uh, device that generates electricity through this matter. It's actually pretty darn simple. Yeah. It's really elegant when you look at it. Now, granted, the uh, generators that you're going to find in modern wind turbines are more advanced than what I've just described, but they all are based on this fundamental idea. So, uh, you know, that's that's your... That's the way that wind turbines generate electricity. Okay, well, let's talk about these different designs. Earlier, we mentioned sort of the difference between the vertical axis and the horizontal axis. Yeah. I think the ones that we see most often are the horizontal axis, right? Yes, yeah, those are the ones that we're most familiar with. So let's start with the vertical axis ones. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, these... Uh, these spin around like I would I would say the spinning is similar to that you would see with a carousel or right. merry-go-round or a record player, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, I'm dating it would myself. be rotating in such a way that you could uh, you could look down on it from above and see yeah. the axis rotation. Right. Right. So, uh, you know, they look pretty funky. Now, uh, I, I mentioned a specific one because it's one that's actually in commercial use today, the Darius turbine. And I said it looks like a giant whisk sticking up in the air, but you had a different... Well, it looks like a wizard staff, or specifically the top of a wizard staff, like Gandalf's or something. It has little... Or Saruman's. Yeah, a beautiful, elegant, swirling kind of shape. Right. It yeah. looks like it should house a crystal of magnificent ancient power. <laughs> Yeah, because I, I, when you said it looks like the top of a wizard staff, I immediately thought of the Discworld series, which has a, a naughty song called A Wizard Staff Has a Knob on the End. But I don't think that's the kind you're talking about. No. Okay, well, at any rate, this thing looks a little funky. And uh, you might ask, well, why don't we see more of these? Because one of the big advantages of the vertical axis uh, wind turbine is that it doesn't matter from which direction wind is blowing, it will turn that turbine because oh. of the way it's oriented, right? Yeah, the that's the a fact good point. that it's vertically oriented. Yeah. So if wind comes from the east, everything's cool. If wind comes from the north, everything's still cool because it's designed to turn no matter which way the wind is coming. That does sound like a good feature, but one thing I would point out about this, just from looking at it, it looks kind of delicate. Yeah, it's a little bit on that on the delicate side. It's also, you know, because the base of it is near the ground, uh, that actually causes some issues. The biggest issue being that wind at ground level gets broken up by lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. Trees, buildings, you know, wind is not as steady nor as strong at ground level as it is at higher elevations. So that's a problem because unlike the other types of wind turbines, which are usually on very tall uh, you know, poles, these go all the way down to the ground, and that means you're not going to get as much steady wind. Uh, they're less efficient, they, or at least they generate less energy, less electricity than uh, than your typical horizontal axis wind turbines. And uh, 
also they take up more more uh, of a footprint on the ground because mm-hmm. all of your all of your um uh, infrastructure like the generator and everything that's actually at the base of a vertical axis wind turbine it's all like you you could imagine like a small building almost at the very base of these things yeah uh and so that means that it takes up more square footage actually on the ground itself whereas horizontal ones you can have all of those elements the wind uh, the the generator everything built into the head of the horizontal axis turbine uh so you know they're on these tall towers that you you'll see like the really tall they, they look like almost like I don't know, like antenna or something, because they stretch out so far and they look so relatively thin. Yeah. Uh, generally speaking, in most cases, the only thing that's in the neck of those towers is the power cable that comes down and then goes eventually to a transformer. Uh, the stuff, all you know, like the generator and everything, all of that's at the top where the fan blades are, uh, which makes sense because, you know, you want to translate that energy into electricity as efficiently as possible. And you don't want to have to turn an enormous shaft in order to generate this electricity. You want that to be compact. So uh, they tend to take up less space actually at ground level. And that's one of the advantages of the horizontal one. Like we said, that's the, those are the ones that you're that look the most familiar to you. Right. Well, let's talk about those now, the non-wizard ones. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, th- this is essentially the the, you know, updated version of the windmill, right? These are the ones that look like giant fans. Uh, they need to be facing into the wind to be effective. Mm. So if the wind is coming from the east and, and your turbines are all facing that way, that's fine. But if the wind shifts direction, then unless you're able to turn the turbine so it faces the new direction of the wind, uh, you're not going to be harvesting the energy, or at least not as efficiently as you should. Uh, that's why a lot of these, almost all of the horizontal wind turbines have some sort of yaw control, yaw control. And that allows you to change <laughs> the direction of the face of the, the turbine. Yaw, so, you mean Y-A-W. Yaw. Yeah, the yeah. turning uh, side to side. Yeah. So that way uh, you make sure that whatever way you're facing is the most efficient way to, to harvest as much of the energy as you possibly can. Right. Uh, so... They also are really tall because wind speed increases, generally speaking, with elevation. You've probably experienced this before yeah. in your life. If you go up on a mountain or right. up on the observation deck of a tall building, there's just more powerful wind up yeah. there. Yeah, and you might think, wow, it's really breezy up here. It didn't feel like that down at street level. Well, I mean, you're, it's not your imagination. Uh, wind power does increase with elevation, so that's why these tend to be really tall. It's also why they tend to be more efficient uh, or at least have more of an energy output than the vertical axis ones because they are located at a place where they're going to get uh, more steady wind. Now, uh, elevating that, you know, if you elevate a turbine by twice as much, like if you go from one height and you increase that height by a factor of two, Mm -hmm. it only really results in a 12% increase in energy output. Now, that's significant. But it's not the same as increasing the diameter of the rotor. So doing both helps. And, of course, if you're increasing the diameter of the rotor, you have to start increasing the elevation because eventually the blades get so long that they would encounter the ground or they would ha- they would hit that spot where they're getting less uh, steady wind because of the ground interference. So usually if you're talking about a uh, wind turbine with uh, that's at a really high 
uh, elevation, it also tends to have a really large diameter. Okay, well, while we're on that subject, I think we should turn to how much power they actually generate. Sure. Like, how much juice can you get out of one of these, and is it fairly predictable? Well, you have to answer some questions first. I mean, there's not like, you can't say, you know, a wind turbine generates X amount of power. Uh, it really depends on two factors, uh, two main factors, multiple factors, but two big ones. One is the wind speed mm-hmm. and uh, at whatever position the turbine happens to be at. So you want to you need to know what the wind speed is going to be. Uh, and another is the diameter of the rotor. Right. Those are the two factors you need to know. Now, I would have thought intuitively that the faster the wind, the more power you get out of it. But that's not exactly right, is it? Well, it's, you know, if we had perfect machines that were capable of harvesting energy, no matter how hard the wind was blowing, then maybe it would be correct. But that's not the case. The case is that uh, beyond certain speeds, it no longer becomes safe to operate wind turbines. So wind turbines are designed and the generators we use are are maximized for a particular ideal speed. And it tends to be 33 miles per hour or 15 meters per second. Mm, okay, uh, That's the maximum energy output. And part of that is a technological um, limitation. Part of it is just a safety limitation. So at that wind speed, assuming that you're having an ideal a situation where you're you're consistently getting that wind speed. Wait, which thirty three miles per hour yeah. or fifteen meters per second? Yes, that okay. that at that wind speed, if you have a ten meter rotor, it will generate twenty five kilowatts um, at that speed. If you have a forty meter rotor, it will generate five hundred kilowatts. And if you had an eighty meter rotor, which would be pretty darn huge, you would generate two thousand five hundred kilowatts. So your average wind turbine generates about 1.8 megawatts of electricity per year under ideal conditions, which is enough to supply almost 600 homes with electricity for that year. Okay, I saw that number and decided I would do just a little bit of math. Okay. Uh, Now, I'm glad you you took this upon yourself, Joe. (laughs) Well, uh, we have to take in mind that we're starting with some rough estimates here. Sure. And there may be factors that we're not considering. So Absolutely. So th- this isn't a gospel number. No, but th- this, is, this is just a, a armchair right. kind of figure. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, uh, between 2008 and 2012, there were 115,226,802 households in the United States. Uh-huh. So I compared that against the... 600 homes that each of these could power. If you divide that number by 600, it comes out to 192,044.6. So based on that rough estimate, that's how many wind turbines you'd need to power all the homes in the U.S. for that period. There's so, probably more homes now. So, so just under 200,000, really. Yeah. So 200,000 Now, that, that wind would be turbines. the homes also. Yes. I guess the Census Bureau doesn't take into account other buildings. Oh, and sure. Stuff. Yeah. If you were talking about an entire city, obviously the homes only make up a, a tiny percentage of all the, the electricity needs. And I'm not sure about those 600 homes, if that's uh, talking about a, a household of a certain type of energy usage and if that applies sure. across the board. So th- there are a lot of other factors to consider. Right. but. Yeah. That's kind of an interesting number. Yeah, 200,000. I mean, that's that's a, a large number of wind turbines, but then you spread I, it across an entire country like the size of the United States, and it doesn't become as 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 a, a huge a number on the surface as you would first imagine. Yeah. So, uh, and also, you know, wind farms can have a, a whole bunch of these together, like 
like two dozen at a time. <laughs> but wait a minute. If you put a whole bunch of them together, don't they eventually start stealing all of the wind that the Earth needs? Oh, you mean like if we if we have too many wind turbines, then we'll, we'll run out of wind. We'll run out of wind. And then the world will just have this weird heating thing because the hot air won't go where it needs to go. And the cold air won't go where it needs to go. Yeah, that would be uh, if you if you subscribed to a um, uh, Joe Barton's philosophy. Joe Barton is a Texas politician who actually did claim once that wind power could use up all of our wind or at least slow it down and thus interfere with. And this is a quote, God's way of balancing heat. Um, uh, safe to say that scientists disagree with this particular point of view. They don't think that the wind farms will use up our precious wind resources. No, there. I mean, it is true that a wind farm will affect the wind patterns in the general area, but not so much as to be significant enough for for it to have any meaningful effect. It might have a measurable effect if you were using very sensitive uh, uh, equipment, but not in a way that would actually mean that, you know, you're having like climate change issues. Well, are there any safety issues or anything like that we should worry about with wind farms? Sure. I mean, you know, any device that's going to be operating especially at that elevation with blades that are that long, that's going to be operating in, in like in windy environments, there are always going to be safety concerns. If the wind blows too hard and those blades turn too quickly, then you could have some true vibration problems that could cause a failure, a mechanical and structural failure of the wind turbine. Oh, to the machine itself. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then you've got, you know rotor blades flying off or something like that. So so you'd need a uh, a safety override. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you've heard of, you know you know what a resonant frequency is, yeah. right? The idea that if something starts to vibrate at a, a frequency that resonates with whatever material it's made out of, it it's can get out of control. How the opera singer breaks the glass. Yeah. I don't know if that's possible in reality. Have we ever looked into that? I know that uh an unamplified voice, it's really, I think it's been done, but it's one of those super rare things. It tends to be an amplified voice that does it, which yeah. which is completely possible. You can find the pitch of, and crystal works best. If you can find like a piece of, of crystal, like glass, and then find what the pitch is and then use an amplified voice, you can absolutely shatter it. But, but so this could also shatter a wind turbine, oh, not yeah. the opera singer, but the wind. Yeah, if the <laughs> if the wind turbine rotor was turning at a frequency that resonated with the material, then that could be a huge problem. So uh, there are a lot of safety features that are included with wind turbines to prevent any sort of high-speed failures. And a high-speed wind is usually considered something around 45 miles per hour or 20 meters per second or faster. And uh, a lot of them have a vibration sensor to make sure that it shuts down in the case of of any kind of influence that would make the wind turbine vibrate, whether that's high winds or like an earthquake. And it is one of the most elegant, awesome types of of uh, fail safes that I've ever heard of for for your basic vibration sensor. Did you did you happen to see what it was? Let me guess. Let me guess. There is a little gremlin that lives inside mm -hmm. no i, I his name's go ahead. bob go ahead what is it okay it's actually uh imagine that you have a little platform inside the this enormous wind turbine mm -hmm. and on that little platform is a little metal ball and that metal ball also is tethered by a chain to a sensor and the ball just sits there on the platform but ah. but if the the 
the turbine shakes. If then this turbine's a rockin', that that ball falls off the platform, pulls the chain taut, which activates the failsafe. I mean, it's brilliant, right? That's it's great. so simple. It's not some sort of digital switch. It's literally this physical thing. How do you return the ball to its home? Well, then you have to send a maintenance guy out there, which you would need to do anyway. Like in the case of something where it, it's causing a real you know, safety issue, you would want a maintenance person to come out there anyway to give it a good once over to make sure there was no damage to the wind turbine. To be the person who replaces the ball yeah. in the wind turbine. That's your job. Like you have, to, you have to go and put it yeah. like, well... It's a living. Well, wait a minute. No. So what happens when the ball rolls off? Does it does it like put the brakes on the rotor? It literally does. Yeah. These rotors have braking systems that oh, are meant wow. to immobilize the rotors. So, yeah, it it engages the brakes so that the turbine uh, blades won't won't turn anymore and will stay uh Steady. And I hope some, it uses regenerative braking. <laughs> so that they can at least get some of the electricity on that. Right. Uh, you know, what? some of these systems also have a blade realignment uh, system. That's what I was talking about earlier. So remember when I said you have your hand out of the car window and when it's when you've got it angled, you can feel the force in, of the wind. And when you when you move it more parallel to the ground, you don't feel it as much. Right. Same sort of thing. The realignment system will realign the blades so that the wind is no longer... Uh, pushing against the blade to create that rotational force. And some of the blades are designed so that if wind does hit that that speed, just because the blade design itself, the blades will no longer turn with the same force that they did before, which is kind of cool. It's actually a physical design of the blades as opposed to, you know, electronically changing their orientation. Okay, so wind turbines might be susceptible to high winds, but they have these fail-safe features in place, though that does put me in the mind to think about, we should talk about pros and cons. Sure. Uh, what are the pros and cons of wind power? Obviously, there's got to be something going against it. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to that, I mean, the pros are fairly obvious, but yeah. we should mention them at least. The, the sure. main one, of course, is that the actual method of action in the power generation is completely clean. Yes. Yeah. You're not burning anything. There are no emissions. You're right. not using a finite resource. It's, yeah. it's clean and it's renewable. And that's the biggest pro right there, right? The fact that it's a renewable source of energy that's not going to cause pollution as a, as for the generation of that electricity. Right. The, the actual building of the device may be different, but we'll talk about that in a second in the sure. cons. And it allows for domestic energy production, which is really important. Right. As long as you've got wind, you can make this. You don't right. need to get your energy from somewhere else. Right. And and that's a matter of national security. I mean, people often forget that. But our our energy problems are also national security problems. And that was a big reason why uh, during uh, several administrations, presidential administrations, there have been proposals to find alternatives to fossil fuels not just from an environmental standpoint. In fact, that's often not even addressed, but from a national security standpoint, the idea of we need to be able to produce whatever inner, you know, energy source, wherever we're going for the storage of energy, whether that's in fuel or renewable resources or whatever, we need to be able to do that domestically. So that way, if there ever is a foreign power that we get into a, a disagreement with, we don't have to worry about them cutting off some needed resources. Sure. So it's it's something that all countries think about, right? The idea of how can we be as self-sustainable as possible? Totally. Yeah. W w without, you know, destroying your own country's environment exactly. yeah. and air quality and things right, like that. Right. 
and of course the global questions like climate change and sure and everything that that entails but so i th- i think the the pros are fairly obvious yeah and they're pretty substantial but there have to be some cons in place there're quite a few they're not necessarily insurmountable but they there are some that you have to acknowledge so that you can at least say all right does this in the long run matter or is this something that is superfluous right well i would say the first one that comes to my mind is that you can't put them just anywhere. No, no. You they, need... You've got to be somewhere where you have the right kind of wind and the supply of wind to take yeah. advantage of this. Yeah. You know, there's some places that you don't get a lot of air movement. It's just because there's, you know, that's just the region that you're in. And if that's the case, then something like a wind turbine is not going to be a whole lot of use. If there's nothing to push against those blades, you're not going to generate any electricity. So... Often you'll see uh, these turbines located at places where there's quite a bit of wind regularly throughout the year. Uh, You know, if it's one of those things that changes from season to season, that also is a problem because it means that in some seasons you'll be generating electricity and other seasons you won't be. So you often see them along shorelines, for example, Mm -hmm. because you tend to have pretty steady winds along those. But you're not going to see them in areas where there's not this you know, constant wind. Well, there's another reason you can't just put them anywhere that doesn't have to do with the supply of wind, but with the willingness of the people around to allow them to be put in place. A lot of people don't like wind turbines. This is big. It's ugly. I don't like the noise it makes. I don't like looking at it. Yeah, this is the the NIMBY issue, the not in my backyard problem. Yeah. Uh, And it's one of those things that, you know, it's understandable. You, You have, let's say that you are a homeowner. Well, that means you've got, you know, money invested in your home, whether you're the one who bought it or you inherited it or whatever. There is value in that. Yeah. And you don't want anything to decrease that value. That's a hit to you personally. So I totally understand it from that perspective. And then there is the nuisance factor, too. These turbines make noise. They actually do generate noise as well as electricity. So that can be an issue, too. And in fact, plays into another con that is probably one of the more at least unresolved problems, the thing that we aren't entirely sure if it really exists or not. Are you talking about wind turbine syndrome? I'm talking about wind turbine syndrome. I've read about this online. I remember coming across people just kind of mentioning it in comments on things. You know, you you write something about wind turbines and then somebody comments like, yeah, but they're making us all sick. You know, they, they gave me a disease. Uh, I was curious if there's really anything to that and... I'd say the answer is, I don't really know, but it seems kind of doubtful to me. Yeah, I'm skeptical, but skeptical in the sense that if scientific research discovered that there is, in fact, an effect, I would say, all right, I was was skeptical of it, but it turns out there is an effect here. The symptoms that are often cited are really vague, like they often go along with hypochondria. Well, a a lot of people have claimed a lot of different symptoms that they're suffering because of wind farms, allegedly. Uh, There was an article in New Scientist in October 2012 called The Sickening Truth About Wind Farm Syndrome that cataloged a lot of the the different claims people have made about what wind farms did to them. And it seems to just run the entire gamut, everything that you could imagine being wrong with a person somebody has blamed on wind farms, right. which kind of makes you suspicious, like a, a real syndrome should have a more limited and controlled list of symptoms. Right. Yeah, the nonspecific um, symptoms are a, a, a warning flag, uh, from, especially for skeptics. But 
Uh, it's also interesting. You found a meta study that uh, was came to an interesting <clears throat> conclusion. Yeah. Well, so there was a 2013 paper in the Journal of Laryngology and Otology called Wind Turbine Syndrome Fact or Fiction. And it was a review of other published reports on the health effects of wind turbines that have come out in the past 10 years or the past 10 years from last year. So it would have been, I guess, 2003 through sure. 2013. And their findings were inconclusive, but... I'll just read you what they said in their little abstract. In the results, they said there is evidence that infrasound, and this is the the sound phenomenon that's supposedly created by wind turbines mm-hmm. causing this problem. Uh, there is evidence that infrasound has a physiological effect on the ear. Until this effect is fully understood, it is impossible to conclude that wind turbine noise does not cause any of the symptoms described. However, many believe that these symptoms are related largely to the stress caused by unwanted noise exposure. So so in, so in other words, the noise is irritating and that may in fact be the cause. Like it, it's more of a I hate hearing that as opposed to this cause is directly the the reason why I have these symptoms. Right. So th- they basically say there is some evidence to think you might be experiencing some symptoms because of turbine noise, but we don't know. And the they said the effects of infrasound require further investigation. Sure. Essentially, somebody should do a controlled study on this so right. we can actually find out what's going on, yeah, whether, if anything. Whether or not there is a, a true physiological effect or it's just annoying. And so the effects that we res- that we feel as a result of that are more about being annoyed and less about directly the noise itself. Right. Though I don't want to be dismissive of the annoyance factor. I mean, having a a constant sort of grating noise going on in the place where you live can be a real problem. Oh, I can sure. see how that would cause psychological stress on somebody. And so I'm I'm not dismissing the way they they feel. If that oh, is yeah, really yeah, the source yeah. of how they feel, it may be the case that a lot of the people who claim to be suffering from wind farm syndrome are just feeling stress based mm-hmm. on this noise. Yeah. But but the bottom line is we need more research. Yeah. Somebody should yeah. actually look into this in a rigorous and controlled way. Absolutely. Yeah. So so the jury is still out on that. There are other cons with wind turbines that are, uh, you know, again, there's there's debate on how extensive the con is, but it's clear that there is a con. For example, uh, that they can have a very negative impact on bird and bat populations. They can kill birds and bats. Uh, now, there are some that claim that this, love, this borders on massacre, that it's, it's wholesale slaughter of animals. Uh, there are other reports that say that, yes, uh, birds and bats do sometimes uh, collide with wind turbines and it kills the animal, but that if you were to compare it to other means of uh, electricity production, the animal deaths are actually much lower than com- comparable means of generating electricity and that it may not impact animal births the way other methods of electricity generation do. Oh, yeah. So without doing a study where you look at both the the birth rate and the death rate of animals, you can't really come to a conclusion saying wind turbines are more dangerous than other means of generating electricity. Now, they are they they do have a negative impact. You can't get around that. The question is, how bad of a negative impact is it? And is it worse than other methods? Yeah, it seems almost hilarious to me, the idea that someone from like the coal lobby could be saying, look, wind farms are really devastating the local ecology. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's the Wookiee defense. Hey, look <laughs> at the Wookiee. Um, yeah, it's a little, it's a little weird, but I mean, it is one of those things that you have to take into consideration. Uh, there's also the issue of carbon footprint. We mentioned that the generation of electricity is greenhouse gas emission free, but the manufacture, the construction of these wind turbines all have a carbon footprint. Uh, sure. And that you have to take that into account. But that's true of pretty much any way of generating power i can't think of one sure. where that wouldn't be true sure it's just it's one of those true of it, solar it's, it's just true, one of those you know. that you you know you're like all right well you gotta look at the big picture and then you make your determination uh, and i think from a big picture perspective it's kind of a non-factor but you also have rare earth minerals that you have to think about uh neodymium magnets permanent magnets mm -hmm. that are used in a lot of these uh those are rare earth minerals which largely just come out of china and there are, there's a whole suite of issues related to that. In fact, I, I've done an episode of Tech Stuff about rare earth minerals. So if you want to hear the whole story, you can go and listen to that old episode. But just suffice it to say that that also comes with some issues. It's Again, I don't think it's uh, insurmountable. I don't think it's a bigger issue than, say, burning fossil fuels. But it is one you have to take into consideration. Uh, so, yeah, there are, there are a lot of issues like that. And one other con to consider is that economically speaking, uh, the generation of electricity through wind power is still more expensive than with fossil fuel. Sure. And that's so that's a big goal in the wind energy industry is to bring that price per kilowatt down so that it is uh, competitive against fossil fuels so that there's an economic incentive to pursue wind energy, not just the environmental and national security side. Right. And that's the problem we always see with less prevalent technologies or newer or, you know, emerging technologies. Sure. They're, they're just more expensive until they can reach the point of market saturation where it becomes cheaper and cheaper and yeah. cheaper. Either that or the alternative, the fossil fuels become so expensive as to make it more right. competitive that way. Right. Or you could subsidize the heck out of it Which, from a government that's perspective. That's what happens in California. Yeah. Yeah. But there are some really cool future uh, implementations of wind technology we need to we've cover really quickly. About, we've talked about a couple of these on Forward Thinking before. Yeah. Well, so let's let's talk about the solar wind energy tower really briefly just to explain what it is because it's a neat concept. Well, you should know that the acronym is SWET without an A. Yes, S-W-E-T. I'm going to get that acronym right one of these days. <laughs> so, yeah, this is, a, uh, uh, this is an interesting concept. Imagine a tower without a top. And it's out in the desert. I'm doing it. I'm so, imagining. Really tall tower. So you've got super hot air inside this tower because you're in a desert. And then you spray some water at the top of the tower, which cools the air at the top. Now, that cold air is much more dense than the hot air that's beneath it. So it's going to start to sink and it's going to pick up speed as it's going down the interior of this tower. So it falls faster and faster and faster. And at the base of the tower, on the inside, you have all these wind turbines facing inward. So that the air rushing to the bottom of the tower goes out through these turbines, turning the turbines and generating electricity. So that's the basic idea is that with these these sort of towers, you could generate a significant amount of electricity this manner. Uh, it does have some back there's some some drawbacks. Uh, one is that you have to put it in a place where the air is going to get really hot. And another is that it requires water. So generally speaking, the places that get really hot sometimes have limited access to water, which means you have some transportation issues to get water out there. But it's a neat idea. And so that's one of the ones we wanted to talk about. What about uh, floating wind turbines? Yeah, th th These are in different parts of the world, although in the United States, it's a fairly new idea. It's offshore uh, wind farms. 
Now, uh, we have two different coasts with two different, very, very different environments here in the United States. On the Atlantic side, uh, it's a nice gradual drop off for the offshore area. So you could actually have wind turbines that are anchored to the ground fairly effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, the West Coast is different. The West Coast, the continental shelf drops off steeply, so you can't do that. So there's some experiments uh, like off the coast of Oregon with floating wind farms. They're essentially on floating platforms that are anchored, um, which is challenging. You know, you have to make sure that this thing is going to be stable, especially since it's going to be capturing wind. So there are some engineering challenges around that. But it's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, And this one demonstration project off the coast of Oregon was uh, coming online this year. And uh, we're eager to see how it plays out, whether or not it's a success. There's another one that's going to be off the East Coast in 2016. I want to say off the coast of Massachusetts. Um, There are some states that are uh, opposed to this for various reasons, largely because a certain family is very influential in some of those states. It's a family that starts with a K and ends with an O-C-H. But anyway, uh, (laughs) yeah, no, it's really it really is true. It's a political thing, not just a environmental or energy thing. Uh, then we have inflatable wind turbines. These are like giant <laughs> turbine balloons. Have you seen these? No. Oh, it's so cool. Think of a, like a giant inflated donut. And in the center, suspended, oh, wait, is a yeah, wind turbine. I've seen pictures of these, yeah. They're, Obviously, I haven't seen them in person. They they look amazing. So imagine like a big hot air balloon type thing, except it's mm-hmm. in the shape of a donut. It And it floats. And in the center, suspended by cables, is a, an actual wind turbine. So wind blows through this kind of inflated wind tunnel and gets captured by this wind turbine. And uh, it's tethered to the ground by power cables as well as, you know, a strong tether and sends the electricity down that way. Uh, These are largely meant for out-of-the-way small locations like a little village that isn't near anything else. It's not necessarily meant to supplement a power grid of a large, like, city. But it's still a really cool idea, and the images are great. And it reminds me of Big Hero 6, which if you haven't seen, you need to go out and see that. But they have floating wind turbines uh, as part of the world that is shown off in that movie, and it's gorgeous. I haven't seen it. You told me it was a sort of beautiful future. It is, yeah. When I when I do a forward-thinking episode and I talk about the amazing future... I imagine a future that looks a lot like the city in Big Hero 6. You know, what that actually reminds me of is the other airborne wind power generation method we've talked about before, which is wind power drones. Yeah. The ones uh, from Makani Power? Yep, that Google X ended up acquiring. Okay. So Google X is the the super secret research and development arm of Google. Uh, It's where the driverless cars came out of, as well as other stuff. And Makani Power, they created a, a... uh, a drone, an automated drone that uh, looks kind of like a, a particularly large model airplane with a really wide wingspan and multiple propellers. Um, and what they do is they launch it up into the air. It's it is like a kite. It's it's tethered to the ground, and it flies in a big circular pattern, a vertical circle to the ground in orientation to the ground. So it it kind of mimics the pathway that a uh, a wind turbine blade would take. Mm-hmm. So it goes in these big circles and it captures wind energy that way. Now, the uh, the CEO of Makani Power, the head of Makani Power, has said that he believes he can get the price down to three cents per kilowatt hour, which would make it cheaper than coal. Wow. 
if that's in fact true. Now, I've seen some skepticism about whether or not that's actually attainable, but it is a really interesting figure if that's actually possible. And uh, the so I guess these things have to be super light. Yeah, they, they talk about making it out of carbon fiber. So it'd be much lighter than any sort of existing wind turbine. Um, and uh, so they weigh very little. They'd be really efficient, really cheap. Uh, at least the energy production would be really cheap. I don't I don't imagine the actual production of the drone would be that cheap. But it uh, it's really an interesting approach because it also would require much less space than your typical wind farm. It would be deployable. You'd be able to pull it in if the wind were ever getting to a point where you're thinking, well, that, it, there's no sense in generating. You know, it's not going to generate enough electricity to justify having it out. You could actually pull it in if you wanted to. Um, so it's kind of an, an interesting approach. Whether or not it'll ever be practical for large-scale electricity production, I don't know. But it's the videos out there are really neat. So I recommend checking them out if you can. So, Joe, you you ready to wrap up wind power? I'm ready. Okay. I, I think I think I've been full of hot air this entire episode, so I'm gonna spare everybody else anymore. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for episode. having me. So so tell them what you do here at How Stuff Works so well, that you know. I am a writer and podcaster for Forward Thinking, mm -hmm. which is the other show that Jonathan's on. So if you can't get enough of this man's ego. I can't imagine that. <laughs> you come over and listen to Forward Thinking where we talk about the future. Yeah. Tech stuff here is technology. There's a little bit of overlap. But Forward Thinking, we talk about technology a lot. We also talk about science and what the future is going to look culture, like. And culture, yeah. monsters. We've done episodes about the monsters We've of the future. We've done X-Men. We just recently did one on how to catch a time traveler. Yep. That We've done a lot of fun. done a lot about bugs. <laughs> <laughs> well, a big, I think a big topic for future technology is biomimetics, how you turn bugs into the technology of tomorrow. Sometimes literally. Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. So go check that out, guys. And remember, if you have any suggestions for subjects here for tech stuff or guests or you know interviews, anything like that, send me a message. Let me know about it. Our email is techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop us a line on Facebook, Tumblr, or Twitter. The handle at all three is techstuffhsw, and we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 